Hello and welcome back to another episode of the SWART Podcast. I'm Dr. Matt Davis, your Regional Medical Director. I'm here today with Dr. Sarah Coco, who is one of the third-year emergency medicine residents at Western University and is currently doing a pre-hospital and transport medicine block with us here at SWARP. Thanks for joining us today to help out with this podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today to help with some educational endeavors put on by SWARP. Today we are going to be discussing and clarifying the updated guidance regarding the cardiac arrest medical directive. As many of you are aware, SWARP has sent out a memo regarding how paramedics should approach the decision as to when to stay on scene and resuscitate for 20 minutes versus making the decision to transport earlier in patients who are in cardiac arrest and do not meet TOR criteria. Our plan today is to provide some background as to this new direction that SWARP is endorsing and to attempt to anticipate and answer any questions you may have. We also encourage you to reach out if you're left with any questions at the end of this podcast, and we can follow up with another episode to answer those questions as well. To begin off, there were some significant changes to the Medical Cardiac Arrest Directive with the release of the ALS-PCS version 5.1 in February of 2023. One of these changes was that for patients who meet TOR criteria, paramedics would complete 20 minutes of resuscitation prior to calling a patch physician for consideration of a TOR. At the 2022 MCME, this change was introduced and the rationale behind it was explained by our pre-hospital care specialists. Can you summarize the reason as to why on-scene resuscitation was expanded to 20 minutes in patients who meet TOR criteria? Well, when the original TOR rule was developed and published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2006, cardiac arrest care looked very different than it does today. Over the last 20 years since that study was conducted, there has been more advances in the type of cardiac arrest care that is provided. For example, high-quality CPR looks much different than it did in the early 2000s, and we know that the sooner high-quality CPR is performed, the better chance that patients will have at survival. As such, more recent retrospective studies have signaled that if the TOR rule is applied too early, there may be more patients within that group that may obtain favorable neurological survival. So to ensure it is clear, there is no change in SWARP's direction related to this patient population. Patients who meet TOR criteria are to have 20 minutes of on-scene resuscitation. That's correct, Sarah. In patients who meet TOR criteria, practice remains unchanged and paramedics should provide 20 minutes of on-scene resuscitation prior to calling for a consideration of a TOR. Would there be instances where paramedics could elect to call earlier than the 20-minute mark in patients who meet TOR criteria? Yes, the directive explicitly states that if paramedics believe that ongoing resuscitation is futile, they can call earlier for a consideration of a TOR. Could you give an example of what type of patient this may be? Well, for example, If an 85-year-old patient with metastatic cancer who has an unwitnessed arrest was last seen alive 12 hours ago and has had multiple analysis of asystole, I think that this would be a type of situation where a paramedic may elect to patch earlier for consideration of a tour. I'm sure there are many more examples of this, but this is where paramedics are going to use their clinical judgment and decide if ongoing resuscitation may be futile. There are lots of other examples, but the take-home message is exactly that. In those situations where ongoing resuscitation is futile, paramedics can use their clinical judgment and call for consideration of a tour. 
Now, in terms of other changes, the directive states that for patients that do not meet one of the primary clinical considerations and do not meet TOR criteria, meaning that the arrest was witnessed, ROSC was achieved at some point, or defibrillation was administered, paramedics should stay on scene for 20 minutes prior to transporting the patient to the ED. That is a correct interpretation of the ALS-PCS Medical Cardiac Arrest Directive. Our pre-hospital care specialist correctly taught this at our 2022 MCME, and this direction has been provided since the release of the ALS-PCS version 5.1 in February. I understand that there have been discussions initially at the regional level, which may have now been brought forward provincially about some guidance as to when paramedics might consider earlier transport in patients who do not meet TOR criteria. What is the change in guidance regarding the Medical Cardiac Arrest Directive? The guidance that both SWARP Medical Council has endorsed and more recently endorsed by the other provincial medical directors is that on-scene resuscitation can occur for up to 20 minutes, or if there are certain features present, paramedics can elect to transport sooner in patients who do not meet TOR criteria. To preface this, as we discuss this today, we are now referring to patients who may meet one of the primary clinical considerations outlined in the directive. If a patient meets a primary clinical consideration, the move to transportation is going to occur after the first analysis. The patient population that we are referring to is those patients who are in cardiac arrest, who do not meet one of the primary clinical considerations, and who does not meet TOR criteria. So if a patient whose arrest is not suspected to be related to the primary clinical considerations and does not meet TOR criteria, when might a paramedic elect to transport earlier rather than to stay on scene for up to 20 minutes? In the majority of these cases whereby patients do not meet TOR criteria, a minimum of four analysis should occur prior to transport. Paramedics can take multiple factors into consideration and use their judgment to initiate transport before the 20-minute mark of resuscitation in patients who do not meet TOR criteria. This can include, but not limited to, a younger age, the distance to hospital, the arrests witnessed by paramedics, the availability of ACP level of care for epinephrine administration, the ability to perform high-quality chest compressions and resuscitative care during extrication and transport. This may include on-scene and extrication or transport resources such as additional paramedic crews, firefighters, mechanical CPR devices, or non-agonal PEAs, such as a heart rate greater than 60 with an end tidal CO2 of greater than 30 in keeping with potential circulatory perfusion. What is the rationale behind this change? The intention of this change is to try and capture patients in cardiac arrest who may benefit from emergency department and hospital interventions. The science is evolving in this realm of pre-hospital medicine, deciphering the benefits of on-scene resuscitation versus transporting. We still do not have a clear answer as of yet. Ontario remains one of the more aggressive EMS systems in transporting patients who are in cardiac arrest. There are many systems in North America that do not transport patients who are VSA, even if TOR criteria are not met. When you see discrepancies like this across systems, it's usually an indicator that there is not adequate evidence to determine which patients should be transported and which patients should be resuscitated on scene for a certain amount of time. When writing medical directives, it is incredibly difficult to encapsulate every possible situation. 
there are certain populations that may benefit from earlier transport to hospital. Can you discuss further what is meant by those criteria that were stated as to whom you may consider earlier transport if the patient is in cardiac arrest, does not meet one of the primary clinical considerations, and does not meet TOR criteria? The list is not exhaustive and other patient factors may be taken into consideration. The list is intended to identify the common situations where you should consider early transport. These patients would be young and healthy, or in other words, have a higher likelihood of having either a reversible cause or a satisfactory outcome. Patients who are close to hospital and have a clear egress plan that would not require significant interruption to high-quality compressions during extrication would also be appropriate candidates. If there are only two paramedics and six flights of stairs to traverse, a decision may be made to stay on scene longer and wait for firefighter backup or another crew to assist with extrication care. In arrests witnessed by paramedics, they may have a higher chance of survival given there is an exact known time of arrest, high quality CPR is being performed, and interventions that may be offered in the, in the emergency department that are time-sensitive are more likely to be af afforded if earlier transport occurs. Another scenario which may come up is the transport time versus the availability of an ACP crew. Studies are trending towards a potential benefit of early administration of epinephrine. In a scenario where transport time is 3 minutes and an ACP crew is 20 minutes away, early transport may be more appropriate than waiting on scene for their arrival. In terms of PEA arrests, not all PEA arrests are created equally. Some PEA arrests are truly that. Electrical activity is occurring, but there is no response from the heart and it is not squeezing to plump blood. Other PEAs are not true electrical mechanical disruption, but rather low flow states where a pulse might not be felt but the electrical impulses are resulting in a heart contraction. These are often distinguished as a being narrow complexed, higher rates, and have a higher end tidal CO2. What is a clinical scenario that would apply to this circumstance? A good example of a clinical scenario where transport should be considered early would be a young female that initially was called for presyncope and arrests on scene with paramedics present. This could represent a ruptured ectopic pregnancy which could be rapidly identified in the hospital, but not obviously on scene. This person needs rapid transfusion of blood products and definitive surgical management if ROSC is achieved, and therefore should be considered for early transport to hospital. Will paramedics receive audit notifications if they decide to transport a patient who does not meet TOR criteria sooner than the 20 minutes as stated in the directive? It all comes down to documentation. Good documentation provides our auditing team with your thought process and rationale for your decisions. When this is provided and are of reasonable rationale, these cases will be closed out and you will not hear from the SWARP auditing team in regards to this component of the call. If there is any concern regarding the rationale, our auditors may reach out with other questions and once answered, this is often sufficient to close out the call. How will this information regarding this guidance be disseminated? Well, if you're listening to this, you've come across one of our dissemination vehicles. We have also utilized a memo to your service email. We've utilized social media to distribute this message in addition. We will also speak to this once again at the next MCME. What are other base hospitals guiding their paramedics to do in patients that do not meet TOR criteria? 
This change and forthcoming companion document changes is produced from the consensus amongst all base hospital medical directors. Prior to this discussion, there was some discrepancy across services as how to they were approaching the previous change. After this, we hope for a more uniform approach across the province. I suspect that there will be also revisions to the cardiac arrest medical directive down the road to better capture this agreed-upon approach to patients who are VSA and do not meet TOR criteria. When is this change in guidance coming into effect? Consider this live now. We expect the companion document to be updated to include this guidance, but prior to then, we encourage you to consider early transport in the patient population we have discussed. Okay, that pretty much covers what we wanted to discuss and share today. Once again, if you are left with any questions, please reach out. We will compile the common questions and put together a follow-up episode. Please email these to swerp at lhse.on.ca. Thanks, Sarah, for asking some great questions that hopefully have provided some clarification to the memo that was distributed outlining this change in guidance. And thanks to you, the listener, for taking the time to keep yourself updated in order to facilitate the delivery of excellent pre-hospital care.